Yes, Father, I Shall Become a Cast, a podcast, specifically this one, which is called A Cowardly Superstitious Pod. I'm one of the hosts of that show, and my name is Nate, and I'm a real Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo edition of a man, and I love the television show Gotham, and my co-host is my friend Josh, who's, he's more like, um, I don't know, Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, Hyper Fighting, one of the last good ones, uh, and he hates the television show Gotham. Say hello to everybody, Josh. Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, G Anthems. This is a podcast where we talk about our favorite anthems from National to Dance Floor. Nate, last time we talked about your top five anthems. Let's repeat that for the audience, shall we? Well, I get, um, my number one is gotta be Party Rock Anthem. Let's go in, let's go in. And then the rest are just different remixes of Party Rock Anthem. And then the, my bottom one is the Book Anthem by Ayn Rand. That's my least favorite anthem. Yeah. Josh, what's your favorite anthem? Uh, well, Dance Floor Anthem by Good Charlotte's really good. Um, the National Anthem's okay, I guess. No, it blows. I hate them. <laughs> this is a hot take for me. The National Anthem fucking sucks. And it's a bad song that's bad to listen to and hard to sing. Goodbye to all of our listeners. Whatever, man. <laughs> Dude, this isn't a show that's premised on me loving the television show Gotham. Like, what fucking... I got bad taste, people. But America... <laughs> Look, I well, I got a lot of problems with America. I was just saying, got no problems with America, but I got a lot of problems with America. But it's a bad song. There are other patriotic songs that would be "Grand Old Flag" is a good song. The what is the one? "God Bless America." That's a better song. Why can't that be the national anthem? It should be the national anthem. Why can't "Party Rock Anthem" be the national anthem? <laughs> Actually, that'd be pretty dope. Yeah, finally recognize our national heroes. Red Foo and the other guy from LMFAO whose name I cannot remember. <laughs> but one of them is called Red Foo. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we should make our national anthem party rock anthem. And that's it for G Anthem. Thanks for tuning in. We'll now let's next time. talk about the television show. I got them, baby. Oh. Okay, fine. Uh, this is... A, what is this? This is episode 12 of season 1 of Gotham? Yes. What else? It's called... Hmm? What the Little Bird Told Me. Bad title. Too long. But it's fine. So this episode carries on from the ending of the previous episode. Jack Gruber and Aaron Danzig have escaped from Gotham. And it turns out that Gruber is this show's version of the Electrocutioner. A character whose literal only claim to fame is that one story where he killed Batman, but then Batman came back by the end of the story. Well, actually, uh, Jack Bukowski is the name of the comic book's character that plays, like, is one of the Electrocutioner characters in the comic book. Yeah, there's multiple Electrocutioners because comics. I don't know why there needs to be multiple. I don't know why there needs to be a one Electrocutioner. I don't know why. There's, like, four of them. But he's, like, actually the type of, uh, I want to not even say D, I want to say E-list villain that is nice to bring on to a show like this. Yeah, because there's no... He's he's there. We know who he is. If you know about him from the comics, you recognize who he is. He's got a recognizable gimmick, which is he electrocutionates people. But also, like, no one gives a shit. So he can be super old and not around to fight Batman. Also, it works because there's multiple electrocutioners. So it's, like, easy to imagine that in the hypothetical future show where young Bruce, who we did not see in the last episode, 
Or this episode. Or this episode. Where he grows up to be Batman and he just fights a different electrocutioner. Which is fine. And, like, he's, like, on level of, like, the doll maker. Or even if they brought in, like, the calculator, that would have been amazing. Uh, mm. Where, like, it's just, like, this villain that, like, is kind of in the Batman lore, but not really. And it's perfectly fine for him to be, like, a thing that Jim Gordon fights. Who's your dark horse pick for a villain you would most want to see show up in this show? I think I already said it. I think the calculator. Or the quilt. The crazy quilt. Crazy quilt's a good one. Calculator's a good one. I, I'm going to say the ten-eyed man. Who's a man whose superpower is that he can see through his fingers. That's a great power. Very useful. <laughs> okay. So, the this episode is about the electrocutioner and his lackey rolling around town, doing electricity murders, trying to get back at their previous partners in crime who sold them out. Uh, we, oh, we find out that Gruber is a an alias. He was used to just be a career criminal. The big reveal is that the guy that he's trying to get is Maroney. Uh, or Mr. M. Mr. M. Jim gets probationally reinstated onto the force by Commissioner Loeb under the provision that he has 24 hours to catch Gruber. And if he does, he gets his job back. If he doesn't, what was it? Both him and Harvey get assigned to Arkham Asylum, or they both get fired? No, they both get assigned to Arkham Asylum. So For kind some of wish that... he pulls Harvey in? Yeah. No, that's... I like that, because it's like... God, Harvey's always getting in trouble because of Jim. Well, let's talk about the beginning of this episode. I have a couple notes that I wanted to mention. Is um, it about how the beginning of this episode rules? Well, let's first talk about how the opening scene of this episode is a digital newspaper flying throughout <laughs> the wind. That's like, not even... Well done at all. No, it doesn't look great. But uh, that Johnny Cash song is playing. Yeah, that was good. The and one, uh, we see the electrocutioner go to the electronic shop and fry his old aliases that uh, sold him out down the river, I guess. Yeah, one of his old partners. He's wearing this like wild outfit with like rubber gloves and boots and like a big like crazy. Um... Yeah, he looks dope as hell. Yeah, he's got like a big like contraption made of like exposed wires and copper coils strapped to his chest and then like his lackey is carrying around like a big bundle of car batteries and he's wearing this like rubber jumpsuit and it's amazing and like i was saying earlier it like really fits the crazy e-list villain that he is yeah he's just full on a super villain now he does this cool thing where he, he knocks on the door and then electrifies the doorknob so the first guy to open the door immediately gets electrocuted it was amazing and then he goes and finds a giant turbine that he's, that the, uh, one of the people that sold him out is like holding in a back storage cell. So I guess him. he was already doing electricity crimes before he got sent to Arkham. Yeah. But he was more of just like a rogues gallery sort of like bank robber guy. And now he's like a vengeful supervillain. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but so Gotham's always been really weird. <laughs> I've seen villains before. Which is just so bad. Uh, when he's talking to um, his uh, past cohort, he mentions that he finally figured out what the city is. And he calls it an abandoned factory full of broken machines. It's so good. He rules. He's great. I, I just want to go back to the abandoned factory thing. Because Gotham is not only full of abandoned factories, it is an abandoned yep. factory. <laughs> That turns out the biggest abandoned warehouse was the one we lived in the whole time. Amazing. Um, and then um, we transition to Jim coming to a 
them talking about the electrocutioner on the run at um, the cop house. Mm-hmm. There's like an actual name for this place. We keep calling it cop it's house. The cop it house. makes me feel dumb. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's what it is. It's like a house for cops. Bullpen. Anyway. Sure. Um, so they're doing that. And then the commissioner stops by. And Bullock tries to pull Jim out of the way. And then as the commissioner's walking in, he makes Jim duck behind a corner and says, Oh, fudge, the commissioner's here. <laughs> behind a pillar. And it's just amazing and also... Jesus. They're buddies. He's trying to help his buddy. No, Boston. sure. And I'm talking about the oh, fudge part. Oh, the oh, fudge part. <laughs> yeah, I remember being that being like, Well, just don't have him... Like, I get it. He can't curse because it's, it's a television show. But why really? would he say, oh, fudge? Like, why would anyone say, oh, fudge, unless they were a kid? Is this better or worse than just bleeping him? Worse. I think I'd be perfectly fine with them bleeping it, because, to me, that's more in character. Would this scene have made more sense if just, like, very conspicuously in the foreground, there was a swear jar on one of the desks? Yes. Uh, what also would have been great is, um, like... A lot of shows do this, too. The way to get around cursing is they are about to say whatever it is, yeah. and then they get cut off. Mm-hmm. They could have just done that. Yeah, they could have. I also kind of like the bully just says a fudge. But no, one of the things I wanted to bring up about this is I have a weird thing where um, listeners of this podcast might know that I curse a fair bit. You sure do. And uh, when I'm in real danger and trouble, I stop cursing. Like... One time, I was in a car accident, and my, what I kept saying was, oh golly, oh golly, oh golly, <laughs> over and over again. I did not know this story. As it was happening, for some reason, I don't know, because my brain was like, well, cursing is a thing you do normally, and this is more serious, so say a different thing. And so I said, a, not a curse word, instead of like, oh fuck, like, you would think I would say. I said, oh golly. And that's happened regularly to me, like... In situations of real stress, the curses drop away, and I start saying fake curses. And, um, I don't know. I kind of like the idea that that's how Bullock works, too. That's amazing. I'm just imagining you in, like, serious situations. Like, you're part of a bank robbery, and, like, you yell at everybody, Get on the flipping floor! <laughs> yeah, it's more like it's more like a response thing. Because I've also said, oh, gravy. Oh, gravy. That's good. Oh, I like that. Oh, gravy. Okay. Uh, so, get on the... What does he say? It's the... Oh, fudge, it's the commissioner? Yeah. So Commissioner Lowe's brought in, and he's another character from the comics as, like, corrupt commissioner. And uh, that's cool they bring him in. He's named after Jeff Loeb, uh, writer of our favorite story, Batman Hush, but also some actually good Batman stories. Also a corrupt politician. Yep, he's the he's very corrupt. <laughs> uh, he wrote Commando under a pseudonym. He also he knew that. wrote a terrible Wolverine story about Wolverine being partially related to werewolves. Did he write that? Yeah. Wait, which this is the Romulus shit from Wolverine yeah. Origins? That was Loeb? I thought that was Daniel Way. No, it's Loeb. Oh, he must have taken over for Way. Um, yeah, Loeb is inconsistent. There are Jeff Loeb stories that I like a lot. Um, Long Halloween is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Dark Victory, the one after it. I like that one. I remember being disappointed by that, but I haven't read it in a really long time. I like, um, like the, what is it, Spider-Man Blue? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's good. Superman for All Seasons is a really good story. And then he writes shit like Hush and that <laughs> story with the werewolves. And then he writes stuff like the Red Hulk storyline, which is actually great, and everybody hated on it because they were wrong and dumb. <laughs> and that story rules. 
You're just mad because Red Hulk is nothing anymore. Yeah, I'm also mad because he didn't have a mustache. <laughs> I know. Why does he have a full head of hair but not a mustache? His mustache falls off when he turns into a Hulk. <laughs> Makes no sense. I wish that they need to introduce a Hulk now who doesn't have facial hair when he's human and then has facial hair when he turns into the Hulk. That would be amazing. Or, um, like, if they do ever bring back the Red Hulk, which I probably will, you just see, like, close-up of his face and you see, like, really tiny stubble. So, like, he outgrows the mustache. It's just, like, a tiny... It's a little... Oh, that would be <laughs> like, so good. Little, like, bleach blonde thing over his lip. <laughs> oh, no, it's just a full mustache, but it's, like, very tiny in the center of his, like, that's even filtrum. Funnier. Like, just I was thinking just thinned out, but like that's that's even funnier. <laughs> it's just like you stretched his face, but the mustache stayed constant. But then it's like, why does his hair his hair grow? He just has like a little like tuft of hair and a little tiny mustache and like little tiny eyebrows. Does the Hulk have eyebrows? Today, Sometimes he's drawn without eyebrows, and it's weird. Today on this episode of Gotham, we talk about the Hulk. <laughs> I love the Hulk, man. Um, but let's get back to Gotham. They should make a sh- well, I guess he's in the movies now. They should make a show about the Hulk again. So Jim bluffs the commissioner into that he knows everything about the electrocutioner. Yeah, that seems good. I like this. It worked out well in a scene, but it really made me question again the timeline of the show because if we if we go back to our theory last episode that Jim was in there for a day or a month. If he's in there for a month, it makes sense that he could bluff his way into saying he knows this guy. If he was there for a day... It has to be a month, then. It makes no sense. It has to be a month. Because also, in this episode, we get stuff with um, Bullock being like, man, it's great to have you back, and like, um, what's the fuck is her name? Essen. Essen and them have like a celebratory like, oh, it's good to see you, Jim, let's have a drink for old time's sake. And it's like, it's gotta be longer. So the timeline of the show is weird. Yep. I mean, it makes it seem like this could have been a month in this episode, but even then, if it has been a month, then Barbara never left the bed at Renee Montoya's house for a month. Dude, I mean, you know. That brings me to something I was going to bring up earlier, uh, uh, later in this episode, actually. Uh, But let's talk about it now. Uh, Let's talk about how Barbara has this fancy apartment that uh, she probably pays for. And doesn't use it for a very long time, just because she is not seeing Jim right now. And she goes to her parents' house to stay there for a while after being kicked out by Montoya. Your parents are super rich. She shows up. The butler answers the door. And I love this character. He doesn't say anything. But, like, she's like, I'm Barbara Keene. This is my parents' house. They live here. And he just gives her this look the whole time that's like, mm, sure. Yeah. Okay. He also has the best... Facial hair, the beard and mustache combo. Yeah, he's gonna, yeah. And then, I mean, he lets her in anyway, but he looks very skeptical of her claims that she is, it's either, there's two ways to read it. One is like, yeah, dude, I know. Or the other one is he just doesn't believe her, but he still lets her in, which (laughs) makes it seem like he's a really bad butler. But again, just like, it's either she's like super rich and doesn't know how money works, and is just consistently paying off his apartment that's so lavish. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, it's just a really weird scenario in general. Or nobody's paying the rent on that apartment, and why hasn't, haven't they been kicked out yet? If it, I just, I don't understand, because Jim doesn't live there, so like, oh, it's wait. her apartment. I think she owns it, I think it's just a condo. She owns it? Yeah, I think she just owns it. It, it still doesn't make sense that she's just not, like, living there and just not didn't take Jim's key. Like, why is she on the outs? 
from her own place. Well, she's the one who chose not to be in Gotham. And it's not like Jim really... But she was still in Gotham. Like, she stayed in Montoya's. Maybe Montoya lives outside of Gotham. Maybe she lives in the suburbs for some reason. No. No, she's in Gotham. What are the suburbs of also, Gotham I, like? I assume her parents are in Gotham. No, they gotta be outside of Gotham. Wherever... They're, they're in, like, the Rich Mansion County, right next to the Wayne Mansion. Yeah. Like, there's Gotham, this terrible city, and then, like, surrounded by rich mansions. No, it's, like, literally, they're and in... And then, that's surrounded by abandoned factories. They're in, like, Kane County or whatever. Like, there's an established... We know what the area outside of Gotham is, and it is a place where rich people live. I, uh, I hope one day that this show goes to Bloodhaven. That would be dope. Yeah. It would be weird, because the show is called Gotham. Anyway... Um, her parents are very condescending, and there's this amazing edit where they're like, her mom is like, how's that policeman you've been dating? How are things going with you? And she's like, they're going great. We're happy. We're very happy. And then laughter cuts in, and then it cuts to, like, Maroney talking to people at the police station, and they're laughing at him. But it's like, I've never seen a human be owned by editing so hard. (laughs) On top like of that, the, the show way, dunks on her mercilessly, and the way she delivers that line is as dry as like stale toast. Maybe she doesn't want to go back to her apartment because she thinks Jim is fucking a twelve-year-old girl there. <laughs> you put on a voice, dude. It was a voice. No, it was not a voice. I refuse to concede that. Do you think she got a new cell phone after she threw her old one at the end of that previous scene? Uh probably. Because some characters can have cell phones, some can't. Uh, which some actually, have cell phones I had a note in this episode specifically because the penguin has a cell phone, mm-hmm. but Falcone, who's calling him, has like one of those phones where like you have to ring the number in. Yeah, well, and then the police station is full of typewriters, but also there are some computers which also absolutely all get fried in this episode. It's so weird. But let's let's dive into Falcone because he's a major part of this episode because the B and then later. A storyline is Fish making her move. Yeah, she uh, stages a kidnapping of Liza and then makes a threatening voice modulated call to Falcone that's like, We have your girl, Liza. Do you want to see her again? Let's play a game. And I didn't listen to that part. You, and you sound like Alfred doing a terrible bad voice. Is that what Alfred sounds like? No, Alfred <laughs> sounds like this. I'm Alfred, Master Wayne. But you don't see him in this episode either. No, no, none of our good, good boys at the mansion in these two episodes. <laughs> Who knows what they're doing? Probably eating pizza and punching each other. Before um, Liza gets kidnapped, there's a scene that is real weird and makes me not understand her role as like being with Falcone. Yeah. So... He is trying to, like, tell her to go live a good life and, like, find a nice man and settle down. Yeah, he wants to give her a bakery. Which is weird, because, like, up until this point, we had to assume they were kind of, like, together. Like, yeah, but we... she... They're, like, together, but she reminds Falcone of his mom. But they're not together. This episode kind of shows her as being his housemaid. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which is weird, because he met her in the park with headphones on, and then... The way I imagined it was that, like, she started, they started, like, hanging out or whatever. Weird to use that term for this. Right. And she was, like, cooking and cleaning for him. And then he was like, let me pay you because I'm a rich gangster man. And now and now she's, like, sort of his de facto housekeeper. So and that's, like, the easiest way to explain the relationship to people. It's like, ah, she's my housekeeper. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's my surrogate mommy figure, even though I'm a very old man. 
Yeah, he is some deep-seated mommy issues. He's a weird, complicated character. Yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to uh, bring this up. My favorite, worst part of the episode. Uh, the riddle. Oh, God. <laughs> Nigma's back. So is... Uh, so is Kringle. Yes. Also... And apparently she had some files for him, and she, one of those files that she had was a cupcake with a live bullet in it, and she... He keeps going, it's a riddle. Like, she hands it back to him like he left it behind, and she's like, here's your cupcake with a bullet in it. And it's like, it's a riddle. It's like, it's a cupcake with a bullet in it. She it's, says it's a riddle. She says it's threatening and inedible, and his response is, it's a riddle. And then he walks away weirdly. <laughs> it's the worst. It is the worst. It's also the best thing he's done yet. Kind of like it leads into another weird ass scene where, like, he visits her in her office and he explains the riddle. Yeah, which kind of works, but also it's really dumb. It's it's it doesn't. No, it works for the, like her, like for Kringle. So, like, he explains the riddle that. The cupcake was supposed to represent, like, a beautiful woman, um, sweet, but also dangerous, because it has the bullet in it, which is real dumb. But, like, she smiles at it and gets all flustered, because he called her beautiful. I guess. But then Even she has, like, he's this... he's a creep? Yeah. She has, like, this police officer guy in there with her. To, like, tell him to shove off, which, like, clearly he's been stalking her and creeping her out so much, and she asked this dude, who's probably her friend, to, like, hang out with him. I'm not gonna... To, like... Mm, that dude to, knows some places. Okay. But, like, in this episode specifically, it seems like she asked that dude to mm. just, like, protect her from this creep who yeah. is constantly bothering her, rearranging her shit, and leaving cupcakes with bullets in them everywhere. Yeah, and then the dude is like, hey, get out of here, Nigma. You're being a creep. And he gets, like, nervous, and he just starts, like, saying shit. Like, he, he says, what's red and then... No, what's green and then red? Frogs in a blender. Yeah. And she laughs at it! And it's... The worst. This plotline's bad, and it gets worse. Josh, you don't even know, my man. You don't even know where this goes. It's so bad. It's very bad. But uh, it's a riddle. It's oh a riddle, dude. God. It's not a riddle. <laughs> okay. He says a woman is a danger. A beautiful woman is a dangerous thing. That's his answer to the riddle. But like, how are you supposed to get that? That's not like a. Is that a saying? No, and it's not even like something you could ever get from someone leaving a cupcake with a bullet on it. On your desk. Like, you're not supposed to get, oh, he thinks I'm beautiful from that, but also dangerous. Like, who would get that besides him? That, that's what I was talking about earlier with this character. He's not clever. Yeah, but maybe he's supposed to get, maybe, maybe this is an arc, dude. Maybe he's supposed to be bad at riddles now. And he becomes better at them until he becomes the Riddler. You would know better than I would. He stops is, being... Is it an arc? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It's probably not. I don't remember if he gets smarter. Because <laughs> like he's supposed to be the smartest guy in the room, and like that's supposed to be a moment of pride for him as mm-hmm. a character. And he's just obnoxious and says weird shit that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but he's our Edward Ligma. Ligma? Ligma balls. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if he did that on purpose or just to cover up the fact that he did say Ligma. No, I did that on purpose. <laughs> Okay, uh, so um, let's let's de- dive into the rest of the episode. Um, there's one point I want to bring up about timing again. Uh, so he, Gordon's given 24 hours to solve this case. Yeah, it's great. And then the electrocutioner strikes somewhere and like electrocutes he electrocutes the um, former alias uh, that he had 
that was like helping him accomplice? out. Accomplice? Accomplice? Yeah. Alias is had, like a fake name you use. Sorry. Accomplice um, that he had into like constantly writing like Bart Simpson style on the wall. Uh, I will not betray my friends. And then we see a newspaper reporting of it. Uh, yeah. And I want to say that like in this scene when they talk about that newspaper reporting, they say they have 15 hours left to solve the case. So within the seven hours that the case started and they found this guy, there's been a whole newspaper printing? They print two newspapers a day, dude. That's not so. That's how newspapers work. Also, what have they been doing for seven hours? What have Bullock and Gordon been doing for seven hours? (laughs) Just like hanging out? Yeah, I don't know. Um, And then they find out that Maroney's the target because... Mrs. Deadpool comes back in. Oh, this is so and, good. I love this. Uh, gives them a... Like a voodoo doll. Voodoo doll. Because apparently one of her female uh, patients at Arkham Asylum crafts voodoo dolls. She's a pagan in sorcerer. In exchange for sodas and candy. Yep. Uh, and uh, they say that she crafted one for the electrocutioner uh, called Mr. M. It's clearly Maroney. <laughs> it's very obviously Maroney. But also, like, you have to know Maroney for... Because, like... If they hadn't met Maroni before, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have been able to get it. But knowing him, it's like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, which I thought was kind of neat, but also kind of weird. Also, that means Maroni's basically looked the same for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Maroni um, is having a thing at his restaurant where he's eating and having a good time and telling jokes. He's always eating and he's always telling jokes. The penguin gets a call from Falcone and he has to leave. But as he goes to leave, he gets electrocuted by the door. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the electrocutioner strikes, but doesn't kill anybody. He releases some kind of bomb yeah. that just knocks everybody out. It's like an EMP blast or something. Which is weird. There's like no follow-up to this. Like, if he wanted to kill Maroney, I don't understand why he just didn't do it then. I think he was just trying to scare him before he did his final kill. Which makes it weirder, because Maroney then is... Used, like, Jim convinces him to uh, be taken to protective custody, mm-hmm. which means just taking him into the bullpen and... Sitting him there the whole time, which is, like, worse. Yeah, that's where he's laughing and joking with people when they do the brutal laughing edit on Barbara talking to her parents. Yeah, because apparently he's, like, telling all these amazing jokes, and he's, like, the the like the guy of the party, where uh, all the, the cops... the party. <laughs> where all the cops are, like... He says the cops are hungry for jokes. Oh, you guys are hungry for this. That's what it says when he's cutting back to him. <laughs> There's such a Maroney thing to say, because he's always eating. Yeah. It's also, like, this idea that, like, they're probably all just, they're laughing for him because he's a scary mob boss and they're corrupt cops. But I like the idea that he just thinks he's really funny. Yeah. I'm really funny. Everyone loves me. I don't know why. Also, the first thing he does when he gets in there is pull aside uh, the cops and say, hey, sweetheart, give me a coffee, two sugars. Yeah, he says a double shot of espresso with extra sugar. I thought he was going to try and use that to wake up the penguin. I don't know. But then what, it doesn't ever pay off. It's just really funny that a mob boss walks into a uh, walks into the police station and immediately like orders around a cop, <laughs> and then he comes in and he dumps the penguin's electrocuted body on uh, a desk and just leaves him there for hours and nobody gives a shit. Oh, the thing we didn't mention was when the penguin is electrocuted earlier, as they're leaving Maroni's restaurant, the penguin is being loaded into an ambulance. He says. That he's got business, urgent business with Mr. Falcone, because he's, like, in a daze. Yeah. And Maroney's like, hmm. Falcone, you say. 
That's not what he sounds like. That's not what he sounds like at all. Um, so he gets suspicious, so he takes him with him and dumps him on a desk for hours. And then he apparently wakes up later, and Maroney questions him. His cover-up was that he needs to take care of his mom. Maroney doesn't believe him, but lets him go anyway. And you notice, he very deliberately doesn't do the, if I'm lying, you can kill me thing. Yeah. Because he is lying. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then... He finally comes to Carmine and lets him know that Liza was a setup the whole time. And he won't believe it at first. Falcon won't. Right. He says, prove it. And the big one's like, I, I can't. <laughs> and that wraps up with Falcon going... Falcon looks crazy throughout this whole does, sequence. His hair's all fucked up. electrified twice. And he just, he's really beaten up terribly. Uh, so, like, when he comes in and says he's late, I've had a day, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Like, you kind of feel for him. Yeah. <laughs> even though he's terrible. And his kill count hasn't gone up in the past two episodes, which is, like, surprising. No, he's been pretty restrained. Um, he did eat a moist towelette in the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, what it culminates in is Falcone goes in to meet the demand of what he finds out, because he, he knows it's Fish. Yeah. And he goes to meet Fish and Butch and... Meet the demand to get Liza back and make sure that she's okay and presumably quit because he has this thing with Zaz where he's like talking about why am I even doing this? Who cares? So his plan going into it is that he is because Fish is not like oh we're gonna kill you or whatever. Her thing is like if you want Liza back then you can have her back. You just have to leave the city and leave and like retire essentially because she doesn't want to kill Falcon. Which is weird. I don't understand her motive. This whole episode... She wants she, to be in charge, but Falcon was, like, her mentor. Like, she's not sure. a completely evil person, it seems like. Sure, I guess, but, like, here's the thing. She's a, she's acting like she's doing Falcon a favor. Yeah, that's because, when she says, like, oh, he's old and foolish and, like, somebody's just gonna kill him anyway. She's saving him from that. But earlier on, she consistently talks about him like he's the worst and she wants to kill him. Like, so this episode in particular makes it seem like a weird backstep from that. Yeah, or, I mean, I think you can also read it as, like, that's where she had to tell herself up until the moment, but how she really feels is, like, maybe I would just prefer him not to be around and I'm in charge. Like, I think her ideal situation would be that he just hands power over to her, but he's not going to do that. Right, and she defends herself in front of Butch by saying this kind of stuff, but it's just, it, again, feels like a step backwards. It just feels different from what she's been saying this whole time. All these gangsters got very complicated relationships with their parental figures. Definitely. Um, and that culminates in another yeah, so sad he, thing. He realizes in the... This seems great, by the way, right? It's great, but also, like, terrible. So he realizes in, like, the moment of negotiation with Fish that she did set him up and Liza was a plant. And he... Can strangles her to death. Yeah, he has. Well, like uh, he has Zaz and his team of superpowered bodyguards come in. Zaz and the girls <laughs> to like hold everybody hostage, and apparently everybody besides Butch and Fish are killed. Uh, and Fish is yeah. He deliberately alive. keeps Fish and Butch alive because they're like the head rats. And then he strangles Liza to death before, like, while well, before that, saying uh, she sorry he's sorry that she got involved and like. She's probably still a good girl. And then he strangles her to death, and it's real sad. It's so sad. And, like... And then he takes a flower out of his lapel and drops it on her. The flower that she gave him earlier in the episode. Yeah. And it's just... It it's feels... Tragic. Like, they wanted to have him kill Fish in that moment, but they wanted to keep Fish around. Because, like, it feels so misplaced. 
the anger that he should have is for Fish, who betrayed him and did this to him with his mother. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, the word of the pod is mother. Because mm-hmm. after he finds out that Fish uh, messed with him on a level of like his mother, who uh, sang these songs and looked a certain way, yeah. and he has deep-seated mommy issues. Well, when... Um, when like, that's, that's what sets him off. That's what, like... Makes him come back instead of saying, I'm an old man, I should probably just retire, what am I even here for? Yeah. Like, him finding out that Fish used his mother against him is what stokes his ire and, like, makes him, like, take her on. Well, okay, so, like, when Cobblepot tells him that he's being set up, he specifically says, Fish found a woman that looks like your mother. Yeah. And then, I think the thing with him, like... He keeps Fish alive because he wants to make her suffer the way that she made him suffer by using his mother against him. And I think he kills Liza because, like, this is this is Falcone's rebirth, right? And he has to kill the weakness within him. So killing Liza is like him symbolically killing his mommy issues. I guess. Uh, it's still just real sad. It's super sad. But he's like... Especially because Liza wasn't really much of a character up until this point. She felt more like a plot element instead of, like, an actual person. We get some stuff with her. Like, she's clearly conflicted about Falcon, and there's, like, moments where it seems like she's going to tell him. But like, then she's she not also complete. has her own mommy issues with uh, fish. fish. That shit's weird. Because yeah. that's never really dealt into, like, you just have to assume a lot about her character for that to make sense. Like I was saying, she's not much of a character, and it just feels like a terrible treatment of a... Like, yeah, it's potentially so, strong female character. The show is not great to women, really, except for Fish, who even, I mean, she gets, she's evil, but yeah. like, she's really one of the only, oh, I guess Essen, but she's like barely in the show. Yeah. Which is a shame, because she's cool. I wish she was in more of it. I mean, so far the best female character in this show is Selena Kyle. Yeah, no, probably, yeah. But yeah, so now like Falcon is a badass again. He says it's the first time he's felt alive in ages. It's After... Choking out Liza it's is so, what he says. Is when he says that, and I just like that's real dark. It's super dark. It's incredibly dark. It's also like I don't know about you, but I feel like in this moment, it's like okay, well, he's definitely going to die now, right? Yeah. Like this is the first step in the death of Carmine Falcone. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I I think it was well done. It just, it just again, it was really dark. Um, and yep. b- before I actually wanted to mention when Penguin uh, tells him about the news, he immediately slaps Penguin. Yeah, just which is slaps. great. It was so great. He gets really put through the like, ringer in this episode. They say you shouldn't slap Messenger. But <laughs> um, also, I really like the reversal with Falcon because like the whole season, it's been like, oh, Maroni is this like psychopath, this like ruthless psychopath who will just kill people. And is like completely self-absorbed, and Falcone is like this more noble egalitarian figure who clearly like disdains the violence, and he's like trying to keep order in Gotham. And now it is completely switched, and Falcone is infinitely scarier than Maroni ever was. Definitely. Um, so I, I did like that. Um, let's talk about the Electrocutioner and how awesome he is in this episode. <laughs> Rules. Because uh, when Maroni's in the police station, and um, Electrocutioner like does this thing where he is in the vents. And, like, causes some electrical storm to happen in the police yeah, station. Yeah, he, like, hooks up his big dynamo. He gets breaks into the, like, lower level of the police station and, like, hooks his dynamo up to... Because, like, it's been, like, established throughout the whole season that there's, like, this 
there's all these like metal pillars and like arches in the police station, and he just like electrifies all of them, and they just start like shooting lightning out and Which frying was amazing. everything. It was like a bad Tesla experiment gone wrong. Yeah, it was so cool, and it strikes like all the cops and knocks them all out. Apparently, yeah, he says he went to stun them, not to fry them. So I guess it was... no, he surprised that he stunned them. Oh, he okay. wanted to fry them. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, and. It knocks all the cops out except for Gordon, because Gordon was wearing the right shoes. Yeah, okay, that's what is it with this show and shoes? Shoes are important. (laughs) Gotta have the right shoes for the right job. So, yeah, earlier in the episode, Nigma is like, "You guys should wear your galoshes because you're fighting an electricity guy." And Bullock's like, "All right, mom, I'm not gonna wear my rain shoes to fight crime." Is like sure that's maybe in character for Bullock, but it's also real dumb. Like, that's clearly the right thing to do. It's like, it's like if, um, like, even if it was, like, fighting a normal criminal, like, in, like, Nigma's like, giving him his bulletproof vest, he's yeah. like, I'm not gonna wear that. What am I? You're telling me that Harvey Bullock did a dumb thing? No, I just, it's just, it's in character for Bullock, but it's also just It is very general. stupid. Like, it shouldn't, they didn't, they shouldn't have needed Nigma to tell them that. Yeah. Um. But it was definitely the show trying to be like, I'm a, he's smart. I'm sure, just, please, he's smart. So he gives them these galoshes, which are insulated, which apparently would protect them from the EMP blast that uh, the electrocutioner gives out. Because well, that's for Jim. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how electricity works, dude. I'm not an electrician. No, it's. I guess it's fine, but like, if Rubber there's protection. a giant Tesla experiment going wrong and electricity shooting out from everywhere, I don't know if your boots would really help you out that much. Well, they do. Apparently. So how much you know. So the electrocutioner not only looks badass, but has his badass moment. He comes in to take the conked out Maroney and conked out Penguin. uh, After moving the conked out Penguin on top of him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Poor Penguin. Can't catch a break in this episode. But he deserves it because he's also the worst. Um, And he Jim tries to stop him. And he holds up a gun against him. And the electrocutioner has his electricity whip. Uh, that yeah. like pulls the gun out of his hand and it's so cool he heats it up first yeah it's like red hot it's so good and then he has his uh lackey try to beat jim up but jim beats the shit out of this guy who's much taller and bigger than him yeah but jim is an animal jim's good at fighting yeah really is it's also good because like i feel like he hasn't had it he's been beaten down a lot <laughs> And then, Recently. And then he goes square with the electrocutioner. The electrocutioner's literally, like, from his fingers, is shooting out electricity, and he looks so dope. Yeah, it's great. And then he just pours water on him, <laughs> and he short circuits. <laughs> so funny. It's, in the moment, like, looking back on it, like, the writing of that sounds like it would look terrible on paper, mm. but it works well in the episode, because it's like, this guy's really menacing, but you just throw water on him, and he's, like, short circuit and he's done. Yeah. It's like the um, it's like the sword fighter scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, but it it, it actually ended up working out really well. I thought it was really funny. Uh, Water, my only weakness. He's yeah. like the wicked witch of the Gotham. It works better. It's almost like it's like a better version of Nigma telling them about the the galoshes because it actually does make like oh they're resourceful. Yeah, good plan. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, and. Then because of that, Jim gets to be a detective again. So he had a stint in Arkham for an episode. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, a whole episode. Did he have to suffer the consequences of trying to arrest the mayor? Oh my god. And then there's this like whole thing where like they have this press release at the police station where um 
they have to take a picture of him and the commissioner shaking hands and him mm-hmm. becoming a detective again for catching an executioner. Yeah. And he leans over to the commissioner and says, if anyone else tries to take my badge away, I'm going to make them eat it. Mm-hmm. And it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Then there's a great uh, exchange between him and Bullock where he's like, I'm through being careful. And Bullock's like, you were being careful? And then Jim says something else and Bullock's like, you were being careful? <laughs> and that's a reasonable response because Jim was never being careful. No, but now he's now he's unleashed. <laughs> what does that even mean? It means some wild shit's going to happen in the next few episodes. <laughs> well, also, uh, they did reveal something about Jim in this episode and he's probably a fuckboy. Because he's living at the police station. Yeah, he's living at the police station. <laughs> which which begs the question, was he living at the police station during his stint in Arkham? Was he living in Arkham? Was he living in Arkham? That would have been crazy. <laughs> he must have been. He definitely wasn't living in Barbara's apartment. Which means he was either living at the police station or like, I don't know, the Gotham YMCA or something. So weird. But yeah, Leslie Tompkins shows up and uh, they do a kiss on each other. A very weird kiss, because, like, she kisses him, and then, like, somebody tries to let him know about a shootout that happened. Formerly unseen fat cop with a mustache (laughs) runs in, and he's like, Jim, there's been a shootout at Fish Mooney's place. Okay, you can go back to kissing now. And he sleeps. (laughs) Looks weak. So, yeah, that, um, and then, uh, the kiss scene is just really awkward. Uh, but I guess Leslie Tompkins is his new love interest, and him and Barbara are broken up, I guess? I don't understand what happened with their they're, relationship. They're definitely not officially broken up. But they're also but, kind of officially broken up. But they're pretty much broken up. I think Barbara does come back and gets mad about him being... I don't know. We'll see. She's no right to get mad. She's a bad character, Josh. Like, the show is bad at writing. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so Jim is a fuckboy, I guess. Yeah, he probably also smells bad, because he's been... (laughs) Well, he did just shower. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we did catch him at the end of a shower. Which, he's also, like, at the end of a shower, he's wearing his uh, undershirt and pants. He can get dressed very fast. We've established that he's a very quick dresser. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, that was this episode. Very weird episode, uh, but the Electrocutioner was super cool. Yes. Uh... Definitely higher on the Balloon Man scale than other episodes. Um, so we did get, we got one, arguably two new, um, villains in this. We got the Electrocutioner, that's for sure. Now, do you want to say that his sidekick is Amygdala? So Amygdala in the comics is named Aaron Helsinger, I think. This guy's name is Aaron Danzig. But, I mean, his name is Aaron and he's a big emotionless... Hulk of a man, maybe he's amygdala. I don't know. I think I'm perfectly willing to leave him off the list. Also, amygdala sucks as a character, so we don't ever need to talk about him. I think what we've been doing, um, because there was that assassin that was basically Copperhead. I think what we've been doing is like waiting until the show names them to okay. include them because we didn't include Copperhead because she was never named. Yeah. All right. So we won't include Aaron Danzig. Um, another weird. Like, conspicuous Danzig, and then there was Lovecraft in the previous episode. Gruber. Gruber. Yeah. Um, so, but we would definitely will rank the Electrocutioner. I assume he's going to go fairly high. Yeah, because he was basically... I mean, I would go as far to say he's this show's first major supervillain. In a way that he's just nuts. Yeah. And he's clearly a recurring thing. Or at least he's set up to be. Yeah. So, I'm going to assume... Here's my guess of where he's going to place. 
Uh, under Selena Kyle, above Maroney. Maybe under Maroney, above Poison Ivy. I'd put him above Maroney. So between Catwoman and Maroney? I don't know if I'd put him under Catwoman. What do you think? Okay, so above Catwoman is Falcone. I don't think he goes above Falcone. No. Especially not after this episode. I think he goes above Catwoman. Okay, so... She's not really been... Like, if this is a villain's list, Catwoman's not really been that villainous. She's just a homeless kid who's just trying to get by. She has not been villainous, but she has been a character on the show. That's true. One of the better ones. Um, Okay, does... Anybody else move? Does Falcone move above Penguin in this? I don't um, think so. I mean, he was good in this. Penguin has not been doing well these past two episodes, but that's okay. His plan has been coming into fruition. And I like Falcone, like, turning a corner here, but we truly don't... I feel like I want to wait till the fruits of that labor, like, to see what he becomes before, like, messing with his place in the list. Because right now he just did a really sad murder job on Liza. Yeah. Oh, Zaz is in this episode. We didn't really talk about him except that he shows up, but he's very... But he's still badass. He's very antsy. He's He does not like the idea that Falcone might retire. Yeah. Zaz, Zaz is just... And he believes that cool. he alone, by himself with no backup, could take out all of Fish Mooney's men. And I, he might be right. Which solidifies his place at the top. Alright, so number 11 on our list, uh, at the bottom of every list, is the Riddler. We should um, actually make it a top 10 list now, because... Oh, you want to make we're it a top gonna, 10 list? Well, we're going to start getting into a million villains at a certain point, and then the whole podcast will just be listing the villains. Yeah, but... I feel I... like we should cut it off now before it gets too unwieldy. Well, we can we can put the list up somewhere where people can see it, and then we don't have to read it out in every episode. Yeah, that, that could work. Uh, but let's uh, let's just do a top 10. All right, so the top 10. let's say the Riddler fell off the list. You know what? I'll keep all of them on the list, but I'll only read out the top 10. That sounds fair. Okay, so number 10 is Harvey Dent. Uh, number nine is Thomas Elliot Hush. Number eight is Black Mask, Roman Sionis. Number seven is Poison Ivy. Number six is Sal Maroney. Number five is Selena Kyle. Number four is The Electrocutioner. Uh, Jack Bukowski. Jack <laughs> I don't remember what they said his name was. Uh, three is Carmine Falcone. Number two is The Penguin. And number one is Mr. Zazz, a.k.a. Victor Jazz. Tough. Lover of funky town and shooter of guns at people. And real badass dude. Yeah. Ha- haver of no eyebrows. Uh, you don't need eyebrows. You don't need eyebrows to do murder. And also it just makes him look cooler, honestly. Like, I think that look works well for him yeah. as a character. Do you think I should shave my eyebrows off? No. Okay. You couldn't pull it off. You don't think I could pull it off? Uh, okay. Sure. Whatever. I'm glad to know what you think about me. Josh, do you love the television show Gotham? Uh, no, but this episode was pretty interesting. Um, again, it had some weird points. The Riddle Cupcake thing was just nonsense. It's bad. It gets and, worse. It gets worse. Uh, and the Brace yourself for it to get worse. thing is getting worse, too. So I can't say I love the show Gotham. No. Do you hate the show Gotham? Fuck no. I Not was... after this episode. After this episode, do you think I would hate it? <laughs> No. I will say uh, that the Electrocutioner has been like the best um, supervillain thing so far. He's the best comics villain. Yeah. Obviously the best villain is my boy, the OG, the Balloon Man. <laughs> sure. But just having like an all-out comics villain in there, and especially a low-level character like the Electrocutioner turned into something so dope. Yeah. I thought that was well done. Yeah, I wish that would. I hope the show does more of that. This like amping up of C list villains into something cool, or bring, uh, brings the electrocutioner back. So. Yeah, this also definitely like him. His portrayal in this episode definitely sets the stage for stuff they'll do later with like Mister Freeze. 
I imagine becomes... there's some similar Scarecrow, too. Dude, get excited <laughs> for the Scarecrow episode. That episode is so good. Okay. There's a pig. There's a little pig in it. I'm not going to tell you what role he plays, but he's there. I made a gif of him. If you follow me on Twitter, you kind of do another role he plays. All right. To learn more about Little Pigs and Gotham, join us again on this podcast. Next bad podcast, next bad time. Yeah! <laughs>